but I was just really grateful that Jamaica let me stay on with the team and didn't like send me home so that I could still experience the World Cup and be there with the team even though I wasn't able to play and that that was a such a cool experience be like I like it felt like you were kind of a part of it but not quite and see it like really motivated that I like oh I want to get back there and I think from that um, that was kind of my goal that I want to get back to the World Cup and the next one's in 2023 so stay tuned another season in the books the podcast featuring current and former professional athletes They come from all over the world, and many spent their college years studying and playing in the United States. We talk athletics, academics, and because life is so interesting, a little bit of everything else. My favorites, food, and cultural differences. I'm your host, Leslie Knight, 14-year vet in Europe's professional basketball leagues. I played one year in Switzerland, and I'm currently on my 13th year in Spain with the club Movistar Estudiantes in Spain's top women's league, La Liga Femenina Endesa. All right, it's about that time, so let's get to it! You've heard her voice, and you might have thought, oh, this athlete sounds sweet and nice. And don't get me wrong, she definitely is. But let's be honest, when it comes to things like grit, determination, perseverance, drive, competitiveness, and mental toughness, she's got it all. And when on the field, Kayla McCoy probably isn't stepping aside on a corner kick so that her defender can get better positioning. Three ACL tears and a ruptured Achilles? Kayla's mental game goes beyond anything I can even imagine. And you heard it from the source. She's got her eyes set on 2023 and the World Cup. Bravo, sister. I got nothing but mad respect. Here she is, Kayla McCoy. Kayla McCoy, thank you so much for coming and joining me on the podcast, Another Season in the Books. We are only one hour apart right now, which isn't usually normal with um, foreigners that I do interviews with, but how's how's life in Scotland? What's it like today? Oh, it's good. It's good. Honestly, today is one of the most beautiful Scottish days you'll get. It's like, I'm trying to think, it's like nearly 20, 28 degrees degrees I think here Celsius obviously I have to do the mental math um yeah and it's sunny and it's hot and there's just people out and about everywhere so it's a beautiful day here in Scotland and yeah I got to spend a good amount of time outside at training and got to watch a game so it's great are you living near Glasgow yeah so I actually live probably 15 minutes from the city center um so very very close to Glasgow yeah the club is based in Glasgow Okay. I've never been to Scotland, but my stereotype in my mind is like very green, rolling hills, um, water, and obviously like really thick accents, which we can get into that <laughs> later. But, um, and then, and then lots yeah. of, yeah, lots of cloudy, rainy days. So I'm glad today is yeah, not, not so bad for having you inside talking to me. <laughs> no no it's fine it's fine I got my my fair share of sun I need a little break now but um no you're you're very you're you're not far off with your imagination of what Scotland's like but living closer to Glasgow is more um city city like um but the further you get out it's definitely more green and farms and sheep and all that type of stuff so yeah beautiful hopefully I'll go one day We'll see. You should. See the you Loch Ness Monster and all that jazz. Definitely should. <laughs> um, but jumping right into the interview, if you could think back and tell me, what do you think your first sport memory is that you have? It doesn't have to be about soccer, but just like the first thing that you remember about sports. Um, let's see. Well, when you asked that, two memories came to mind and one was in soccer and one wasn't. So I'll share the, I'll share the soccer one first and then, um, but I just remember when I was really little and I don't even know how old, maybe five, six. And my dad coached my AYSO team, which was like park district soccer. And, um, it was the the situation where I 
I was actually quite a good six-year-old. I'll tell you that. So I would just kind of like score a lot of goals pretty easily. And then every time I'd score, you know, I'd run past my dad, who was the coach, give him a high five and he was all excited. But then every time I ran by, he'd be like, right. Okay. This time you're only allowed to score through left foot or this time you're only allowed to score with your head. And he would like put different challenges on me. And I just thought it was so fun. Um, so that's like one of my earliest soccer memories. But I also have another memory. I was probably around the same age, probably six. And I had just started swim team and I show up to the pool. My mom took me for my 6 a.m. first ever swim practice. And I was cold and it was cold outside and it was kind of rainy. And I was wearing this swimsuit and my little bathing cap and I did not want to get in the water. And I cried when I got in and it was just not fun and miserable, but I ended up swimming for like six or seven years after that. So I guess I survived. <laughs> Man, six years old and 6 a.m. workouts all already. I know, I know, swimming's intense. <laughs> wow, and so then if you swam for six more years, I mean, 12 years old, you were probably pretty competitive. I was competitive in swimming. Like I, I, um, I, I can't say it was my favorite sport, but I was like quite decent at it. And I really enjoyed to race. I didn't like practicing or training or the two a days or the early morning practices or any of that stuff or the cold water. The water was always cold, but yeah. I did enjoy racing and winning races. So that's probably what kept me motivated for doing it for so long. Yeah. Well, and I, I do know your family a little bit, so I know the answer to this question, but for the listeners, um, would you say you grew up in a sports-oriented family? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Like, both my parents um, were athletes in college. My mom ran track in cross-country, um, and my dad played American football, so all of my siblings played sports at some time in their life, and it kind of runs in our genes, and we start we all started really young and some of us carried it on for longer than others. But I think as of now, me and my youngest brother are the only two that are still playing sports. Okay. And your youngest brother was, what's he doing? Was he doing volleyball? Yeah. Well, he was on, he's just very athletic. Um, and so he was doing just about every sport. He was playing volleyball, um, soccer, basketball. I think he was doing all of them. Um, okay. Yeah. Oh, he's, he's gonna be a senior yeah <laughs> well I'm impressive that your dad um had the know-how to tell you when you were just six years old okay now you can only score with your left foot or now you can only score with your head because that's a sign of like somebody who knows sports I don't know if my parents would have uh you know caught on to like saying something like that or making a little bit more difficult but um that definitely shows yeah. that he had he had some knowledge <laughs> He had some know-how, he had some background experience for sure. Yes. So then um, when would you say that you started taking soccer more seriously or when did you think like, hey, this is something that I really want to do? Yeah, so I think it was um, kind of maybe eighth grade year that I kind of started getting, I was playing only basketball and soccer at this point. I wasn't swimming anymore. Um, but I started getting kind of recruiting letters from colleges, just showing general interest saying like, you know, just very generic letters. Hey, would you be interested in visiting our school? Stuff like that. And I think when I started getting letters from colleges, I started to kind of think like, oh, like there's maybe like a future for me in this. I don't think I ever really thought like about playing in college or thought like above and beyond where I was in the moment. Um, obviously, Brittany, my oldest sister, playing basketball in college, like and seeing that, I kind of always wanted to be like her and to pursue that. And so I think in the back of my head, I always just kind of expected myself to continue playing further. Um, but it wasn't until I started receiving those letters that it became like more real for me. Um, I ended up getting injured um, the summer after my freshman year of high school. I did my ACL. And um, when I came back from that, I ultimately decided that I was just going to stick with soccer. I, I missed playing soccer the most. I realized I loved it the most out of everything um, that I was doing. And so I decided just to focus purely on that. And um, yeah, from there, I just kind of kept pursuing that and put my head up towards it. And kind of with college as my ultimate goal, um, which, yeah. Mm -hmm. Remind me how many years difference are there between you and Brittany, like about seven or? Um, there's like, there's nine years. Nine. Difference. 
Okay. Yeah. So when yeah. she was, when she was going through the recruiting process, I mean, you were very young, so you probably really didn't even realize what was going on. No, I didn't really, I didn't really know what was going on. Although I do have this very distinct memory of we had bunk beds at the time and the, it was like a wooden bunk on the bottom and I was the top bunk and she was the bottom bunk. And she, I don't even know what school she was debating between, but I just distinctly remember that she had like a pros and cons list written on the bottom of the bunk bed in pencil of like between schools and like topics such as like, um, I mean, obviously important things like, oh, academics and athletics and those types of things, but it was also like mascot and like, like Nike or Adidas or like team colors. And it's just really funny that I have that memory um, of her, but that's like all I remember from her recruiting process, to be honest. And you, you know that she's going to listen to this. So shout out, <laughs> no, shout out to Brittany. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I love it. I love it. Well, she ended up going to the University of Minnesota Golden Gophers. Not a bad choice. Um, she did. She chose for the mascot, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Cute little cheeks, that little gopher. Um, so then how did you, so your recruiting process started when you were in about an eighth grade. Um, how did you balance the recruiting process playing and academics because obviously academics are very important to you as far as junior and senior year went like how did you balance um all of that because I know for a lot of young athletes lots of times they end up dropping out because out of their sport just because it's so um demanding to keep up your grades and practice as many hours as you do so what was that um situation like for you what did you find it difficult did you have to sacrifice a lot of things yeah, I mean, it was definitely a lot of sacrifice going on. I mean, you asked about junior and senior year, but I was already committed to a school um, at the end of my sophomore year. So it, in a sense, I guess I have never thought about this before, but in a sense, I guess I kind of was not as stressed during the later, more important years of high school because I already knew what I was doing afterward, which is very unique and recruiting has changed drastically since then. I know people don't really do that anymore, um, especially in women's soccer. Um, so I think that helped for me that I made the decision really early. I don't think I would have chosen to make the decision that early, you know, going back if I could have had more time to think about or more time to decide what I wanted. Although I don't think I would have chosen any differently. I was very happy with my choice. Um, but just to you know, you make that decision as a 15 year old of where you want to spend like your years 18 through 22 or whatever is really big decision. Um, but I think for me, definitely um, time management um, is something that was really ingrained in me and my siblings from a young age. We were homeschooled up until eighth grade. And so that was just a lot of kind of self-discipline to like get your work done and to kind of focus in maybe not like a classroom setting and um I think that just really helped me once I got into high school to be able to manage and juggle a lot of different things at one time and there's definitely a lot of sacrifice like I still obviously had like social a social life and I had friends and I would spend time with them but ultimately like I was going from school to training to home to homework with dinner and then to bed and like that was just my life for the most part and there was even times um, during the year where I would go into school early and train beforehand and then school and then train you know and it's just a lot and my life just kind of revolved around um, my sport and school but ultimately I loved to play and my my good friends were on my team and so for me, it was just an absolute joy to be able to do that. And I loved every second of it. And it never really felt like a sacrifice. Like I definitely missed things for soccer. And I would be like, oh, can't go to this birthday party or um, can't go to my friend's dance recital or something because of soccer. But it never really felt like this huge sacrifice for me because I just loved it so much. Sure. I can understand that. A lot of my best friends uh, are thanks to basketball. Um, yeah. And yeah, 15 years old, making your college uh, decision seems very young, but I'd say that you chose pretty well. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, Duke, Duke University is internationally probably well known on a, a world scale. Um, 
I think it's funny because over here in Spain, people call it duque, um, <laughs> you know, because they, they pronounce like all the letters, how they sound in the Spanish language. Um, That's funny. Yeah, but what would you say convinced you when you look back on your recruiting process? Did you take visits? I'm, ass I'm assuming you took an official visit when you were able to. Yeah, so I, I actually think I took my official visit technically after I was already committed. So I just took that one official visit, but I did, t I did visit several schools. My dad, it was usually my dad that took me to visit schools. Okay. Um, so yeah, I visited several, but um, Duke, yeah, Duke stood out to me for sure. Yeah. Um, I have been on the Duke campus just once because we had an AAU basketball tournament out there in North Carolina. And, um, we went to the basketball stadium, obviously. And I remember thinking, wow, this is a lot smaller than I had imagined it, you know, because when you see it on TV or when you hear people talk about it, but, um, what was it like? Because I'm assuming, even though you played soccer, I'm assuming you went and watched a basketball game at least once. Sure. For yeah. Sure. I loved going to the basketball games because, like you said, it's such a small stadium, but that's what makes the crazy atmosphere that is Duke basketball, you know, because they, the student section is right on top of the court. Like you could reach out your hand and essentially touch the player, like passing in the ball, which is just insane. Um, but yeah, no, I loved going to basketball games. They were not always the easiest to get into because you know, you have like camping out and the Cameron crazies and everybody wants to go into basketball games. But as an athlete, you got a little bit of a like pass. And if you ask in advance, you get tickets to most games, not like Duke versus UNC or Duke versus Michigan State, but you could get tickets to just kind of your average conference games. Mm -hmm. um, however, I will say that I think it was my junior year, me and um, one of my best friends snuck into the Duke versus UNC basketball game. And it was <laughs> one of the coolest, one of my favorite college experiences. It was one of the coolest things ever. We, there, we couldn't get into the student section because the line was just far too long. We were never going to make it in. So we like, pretended like we were grad students because grad students had their own section and their line was shorter. So we pretended like we were grad students and went into their line. And then we got into the building basically and the grad student section was full and they were turning people away. So we just kind of like scampered up some stairs and ended up like up, like up in the upper section or whatever. And at that point, the game was starting really soon and the ushers were just trying to get people to sit down and some usher just like, grabbed me and just sat me down in a seat and then grabbed my friend and sat her down on like the total opposite end like I could see her diagonal from the court so we sat by ourselves the entire game but it was the coolest thing ever and Duke ended up winning and we met up afterwards in like the big celebration and then ran down to the quad for the burning of the benches and it was just this huge huge thing so yeah that's one of my favorite Duke basketball memories <laughs> oh my goodness that is like a memory and an experience that few people can say that they've had and the fact that you were in college and you snuck in I mean that sounds absolutely lovely I I love that <laughs> that, is what, that is what college is all about and if you, can, really is. if you can do that for a Duke basketball game against UNC oh my gosh my brother, if he listens yeah. to this, he is going to be so jealous. Like <laughs> to have that experience is so unique. I mean, it's like a coveted experience that so many sports uh, junkies would love to have. It's so true. That's so true. I don't actually think about that experience as much as I should, but just talking about it now has like got me all excited about it all over again. And it was like four years ago now, but yeah, it was so cool. <laughs> obviously you didn't choose Duke because of the men's and women's basketball teams. You chose Duke because I'm assuming the soccer team was really good. Were they, I'm, I'm being very, um, uh, green and innocent right now, but I'm assuming Duke has really good women's soccer. Were they ranked when you, um, yeah. So Duke soccer is just historic has always been solid over the years they've had the same coach Robbie Church for like 20 years now and he's just built this great solid program um, where players just love to play under him and just have really good experiences to be honest um, and so my four years at Duke well okay so the year I think it was let's see 
I think it was 2011, maybe, that Duke made it to the Final Four. And that was their first time in the Final Four. Um, and then I graduated, or I went into Duke in 2015. So 2014, Duke didn't qualify for the national tournament, which was like the first time ever, or the first time in a really long time they hadn't qualified for the NCAA tournament. And it was like devastating. It was a huge deal. So I was already committed at that time. Um, so then once I got in, um, got to Duke for my freshman season, they had like the, the group that was there had put in so much work to basically make sure and do whatever they could to make sure that that never happened again, that they qualified for every single NCAA tournament following um, because they were just so devastated with it. Um, so they had done work with their team culture. They had done immense amounts of work in the off season. And so everybody came in really kind of buzzing and raring to go. And I think the biggest thing that they did as a team, as I mentioned, was team culture. And they worked with the sports psychologist to just like figure out how to be the best team they could be off the field to make them, them the most successful on the field. So as a freshman coming in, basically you're just kind of like, oh, like, okay, we'll just do whatever anyone tells us to do, you know? Um, and the upperclassmen really set the stage early on. They're like, look, this is what we stand for as a team. This is what we're expecting out of the season. And so I was fortunate enough to come into a group that had such incredible leadership that just kind of carried the team. Like I was able to contribute on the field, fortunately, but like as a freshman, you're, you're not necessarily in a leadership position, but we had such strong leadership that just carried the team all the way through the season. And it made the biggest mm -hmm. difference. And like, we didn't even have the greatest regular season that year. Um, I think we were like maybe just over 500. Like we really didn't play that great. However, when it came time for the NCAA tournament, we ended up um, like getting chosen for the NCAA tournament. I think we were a number four seed um, and we made it all the way to the national championship game. Like we made it to the final four, we won the semifinal game and then we ended up losing in the final at the national championship game, which was like absolutely heartbreaking. Um, but such a cool experience as a freshman. And I like look back and I kind of punch myself a little bit because I didn't realize like how hard that is to do and like how much that meant at the time. I was just like kind of there for the ride, just happy to be there, like la di da. Right. But like looking back, I'm like, wow, that was actually really amazing that we were able to do that. Like we beat, what was it, two number one seeds in the process of playing in the national championship game where we ended up losing to another number one seed. So like, we were playing like all the best teams in the country um, leading up to it. And just, I think our camaraderie and stuff off the field really, really gave us so much success on the field. Um, so yeah, so that was my freshman year. We made it to the national championship game. Who did you play in that national championship game? Just out of curiosity. We played Penn State. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, they ended up beating us 1-0. I can like still remember the goal they scored. And I can also still remember the fact that we beat Florida State, who was the reigning national champions at that time in the semifinal game. Um, but we worked so, so hard in that game. And it was on a Friday. And then the final was on a Sunday. And everybody was so tired. Everybody was so tired for the championship game. And it was just so, it was one of those things where it was just going to be a grind. And the whole game was a grind. And we um, didn't come out on top, which was disappointing. When did but, they score their um, first goal? Was it like early in the game, late in the game? No, it was late. I'm pretty sure it was in the second half, um, if I remember correctly. So it was like one of those just kind of crushing ones where it wasn't, it actually, it honestly was not that good of a game. Like, I think both teams were just really tired and just trying to get through. Um, and it was like on a Sunday afternoon and it was hot and all that type of stuff. So, um, yeah, I just remember that being like so devastating. And your position, were you a forward? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was a forward. And like, um, I didn't start when I first got into college, I would come off the bench and play like 15, 20 minutes here and there. But then the girl that played my position ended up getting injured, um, a kind of serious injury. And so that was my opportunity to start. And then I maintained that starting position all throughout the rest of the season, which was um, pretty cool as a freshman, because it doesn't happen super often. Very cool. You followed in your sister's footsteps, I would say. Uh, well, a little, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> I play every single game like her. Yeah. 
Um, tell me a little bit about the adaptation process as far as like college sports on the field, off the field, and then in the classroom and out of the classroom. Did you feel like that was a big transition for you or um, did you feel like, you know, you were prepared? Yeah, I think I would actually say I was pretty well prepared. Um, I think academically my high school, not every class, but certain classes tried to kind of do class as if it was a college class, like there was a syllabus. And in high school, I was like, what even is a syllabus and why do I need one? But obviously in college, like every class has a syllabus. And so like, just kind of having that experience in high school of like a kind of college-like class structure. I was also in a lot of AP classes, which were super challenging, which I think kind of prepared me for the challenges of college academics. But I mean, ultimately Duke is just like, pretty hard academically and um, I was I was a cultural anthropology major which um, it's more of like a social science but I was also pre-med which is where I was taking like the chemistries and the physics and the hard sciences mm -hmm. um, so those classes were just really really hard and like college was the first time that I like failed um, exams and stuff in my life and I was like what is happening <laughs> Because yeah, obviously academics are very important to me. So when I was failing, um, I was like, oh my gosh. Um, but uh, uh, but yeah, I mean, ultimately I did really well academically and like, I just had to put in a lot, a lot of work. Um, and do kids are really, really smart and some of the other kids didn't have to put in so much work, but I was just constantly getting tutored and all that sort of stuff, but we made it through. Um, we got a degree, that's all that matters. Um, yeah, and then, Soccer wise, I, I think going in this, the speed of play was a shock. Like, I think technically I was good enough to be there, but just like the speed at which the game was and like the kind of intelligence you needed to play at a higher level was something that it took me a little bit to adjust to. Um, and I think having that bit of time where I was like, not necessarily like expected to be the goal scorer, or like not much was expected of me coming in as a freshman gave me that chance to kind of just adjust and learn at my own pace so then when it was my time to kind of get on the field and start games and when the team was relying on me to score goals I was able to deliver more effectively because I had that that kind of transition time but it's tough because you go from being like the best player on your club team in high school to being like sitting left bench in college and you're like it never experienced this before like sitting on the bench not getting minutes so mm -hmm. that's definitely an adjustment and I just remember um, some of the older players especially taking me aside and being like look you'll get your chance like you're training really well you're very young like be patient with yourself just keep working hard and um, I think that really meant a lot for me in my transition to know that um, my coaches believed in me my teammates believed in me and as, I, as long as I just kept working hard and doing what I was doing I would eventually get my shot which I did and very nice to have upperclassmen who yeah. went out of their way to kind of put their arm around you and tell you that because that's not always the case. So no, it's not. I was I I cannot emphasize enough how like great the leadership was on that team my freshman year. And I know when I became a senior, I really wanted to be to the freshmen what those seniors were to me. Mm -hmm. um, and I hope I was, but um, yeah, no, they were just, the leadership was just incredible on that team and selfless leadership because a lot of those seniors didn't really see the field much. And so mm -hmm. they were still able to contribute to the team and kind of build up the younger players that were playing over them, which is just honestly inspiring. That's very inspiring, amazing. Um, yeah. I don't know who they are, but hey, hats off. Like I, I give you a round of applause. That's not yeah. easy to do. Like to swallow your pride and put the team first. Um, did you know when, I'm assuming you did because I don't feel like people wanna do pre-med just out of the blue. I'm assuming you kind of knew what you wanted to study going into college. I did actually. And that was another reason I chose Duke because obviously Duke, university is attached to Duke Hospital, which is one of the best hospital systems in the country. And so um, that was a big draw for me to go there because I knew I would have access to the mentorship, the shadowing, anything I needed at Duke Hospital, which is literally adjacent to the university, like I could walk there. Um, and they also had this really cool program that was 
um, it's called CAPE and it's for female student athletes who want to be pre-med and it's very exclusive program. Only female student athletes who want pre-med. Um, and it was probably like throughout my years, obviously it changed, the numbers changed, but it was probably around 20 to 30 girls um, who were all pre-med students and student athletes. And we would meet like um, once every two weeks and just kind of talk about different things that were happening in the medical world. And it was really cool to be surrounded by very, very like-minded people who were both athletically successful and also academically driven and who were all kind of reaching to attain the same goal. And then the coolest part of that program is their summer internship, which was six weeks long where you got to shadow um, probably like 12 to 15 different doctors or, or PAs or nurses at um, Duke Hospital and like sit in on surgeries and like observe them with patients and follow them around and just learn what they did. And, um, and then ultimately the goal was, is to go to med school from there. And the people that help out with the program and the doctors you shadow that you could build relationships with can ultimately help write letters of recommendation and be contacts and those types of things. So that was a big reason I ended up going to do is because they had that program. Um, and I already knew that I was interested in studying medicine. That sounds fabulous to, yeah. be, to be in the presence of other young women who kind of have that same mindset and goals um, and who are also athletes. I think that's really important to be in the company of like-minded people that you can kind of see yourself in them and feel like you're not, you know, you're not alone in this and that it is possible to be a student athlete and have these um, goals, these lofty goals, you know, because yeah. it is tough to balance such intense academics, I would assume with, you know, performing at the highest level that you can on the field. Yeah. You, I, I, I didn't have any teammates who were doing pre-med. I can tell you that right now. <laughs> yeah. It's tough. It's tough. But no, you're so right that it helps to look around and see people who've done it and who are doing it and to kind of commiserate with each other, you know, and um, it really keeps you going because um, we had that too. We had a lot of older, we would have like CAPE alums come back and talk to us about their journeys. And you're like, well, if you did it, like I can do it. And people within your own sport and then people within other sports. So it was really cool. Right. Um, something else I, I don't want to spend too much time talking about it because um, I, there are other things, but I think it's important for the listeners to know that so you tore your ACL when you were about a freshman, right, in mm -hmm. high school. Yeah. And then unfortunately, you tore your, you ruptured your Achilles tendon yeah. in college. What was that, your sophomore year? Sophomore year, yeah. And then you tore the same ACL, ACL or the other ACL? The other ACL. The yeah. other ACL. And that was after college. That was after college. That was my rookie season professionally. Yeah. Okay. So you have gone through three major surgeries, three major recoveries, um, and you're still going strong. Um, yeah. Like the unfortunate thing is you actually missed one because my did my ACL again after my rookie season, I had just come back to playing again and ruptured it again. So that was like my first two years pro was like mainly just rehabbing. So you've so, done your ACLs a total of three times. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness, Kayla. I know. That's pretty bad. Wow. You, where do you think your perseverance comes from? Like, where did you learn that? I thought you were going to say, where do you think your knees come from? Because that is the <laughs> real question. How is that? Um, no, I honestly, the first time I did my ACL, I was like, right, okay. Kind of a lot of people do their ACL, like you got this type thing. The second time I did my ACL, I was like, hmm, maybe I should reconsider <laughs> what I'm doing here. But, um, you know, I just don't feel like, I want to be done yet. I just kind of want to see where my rehab will take me. The third time I did my ACL, I was like, right, let's just take a moment. I actually had kind of come to terms with the fact that I maybe was going to be done, that I didn't want to play anymore. Um, and, and honestly, sorry, go ahead. Sorry, I don't want to interrupt you, but that was now that I'm remembering, because I've heard these things from your sister, um, yeah. you were about to go with the Jamaican national team, right? to the world cup. Yeah. That was my second one. Yeah. 
Oh, that was your second one. Not your yes. Yeah, so that was, that was in 2019. I did it like our last friendly game before the world cup. Um, I actually did it in Scotland. Actually, we were playing Scotland. Um, but yeah, I, I tore my ACL um, in that game. So I was already like named to the World Cup squad and everything um, and just had to sit and watch the rest of the World Cup. Yeah, from that. And then I had just come back to playing. Um, we had like COVID season kind of. So it was like not really a season, but we had some games. And then in training, it just retore like the exact same. It was just, yeah. Man, I have goosebumps right now just talking about it. And uh, I mean, I don't want to just put salt in an open wound, but oh my gosh, we're talking about the World Cup. Like, oh my goodness. I remember because Brittany, I think, was even thinking about trying to get tickets to go. And um, how many times do you know someone and have a sister that's going to be playing in the World Cup for Pete's sake? I Um, know. Kayla. I know. It was pretty not ideal, the timing of that one. <laughs> to be honest, it was really, I was just really grateful. In the end, I got to a point of being grateful. But I was just really grateful that Jamaica let me stay on with the team and didn't like send me home so that I could still experience the World Cup and be there with the team, even though I wasn't able to play. And that that was a such a cool experience. B, like I, like, it felt like you were kind of a part of it, but not quite. And see it like really motivated that I like oh I want to get back there and I think from then on that was kind of my goal that I want to get back to the world cup and the next one's in 2023 so stay tuned wow wow that's so exciting oh my gosh you are just such an example of grit. I mean absolute grit um so okay going back one quick sec to college your senior year what is the draft process like for for college soccer? Um, Because I know a little bit about what it's like for basketball, but to be honest, I don't think I've ever really seen anything on TV or in the news talking about college women's draft day. Yeah, it's, it works just about the same as like a basketball draft would um, in that, you know, you basically put your name in if you want to like be in the pool of players that are available to be selected in the draft. And then um, the 2019 draft, which is when I was drafted, was happened to be in Chicago. So I was like, oh, great, I can go because I'm already here. I will say it was one of the least pleasant days um, because you're sitting there and maybe if you're like a top one or two or three draft pick you know in advance that you're going to get picked and you probably know by whom but for everyone else you're just sitting there it's like recess and you're just like waiting for your name to get called but a lot more pressure than recess (laughs) and like (laughs) you're just sitting there with your family and friends like and the number seven pick is and like you're like it's gonna be me no it's not me um so it's it was like one of those days of just like kind of just stress. And I think I went in with this expectation that I should get drafted. And so then you're just sitting there waiting and um, yeah, my family was there and Brittany was there as well. And I did end up getting drafted in the second round, which was very exciting. There was nine teams at the time. Yeah. Nine teams at the time and four rounds. So only what is that? 36 players get picked. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I mean, once you get picked, obviously it's like best day ever, (laughs) but leading up to it, it was like agonizing, agonizing and stressful. Um, and I wouldn't want to sit through it again, but, um, but once you do get picked, it's really, really cool. And a lot of the girls that were picked, um, for Houston, I ended up getting drafted to Houston were, were actually there on that day. So I got to meet my like draft class and all that type of stuff. So it ended up being cool. Wow. So you played, well, you said you were injured. What? So you ended up playing kind of a couple years for the Houston Dash? Yeah. So I was, I was on the Houston Dash for two years. Um, didn't end up playing all that much because I was injured most of those two years, but um, it was a really good experience. And I do think I learned a lot from being there. And it's, I mean, the transition from high school to college is one thing, but the transition from college to pro is I think even a bigger transitional step because 
now you don't have school anymore. So now your whole life is your sport, basically. I mean, you would understand that. Like when, when you have school, at least you have like something else to do with your time. But sometimes when it's just your sport, you're like, that's all you think about. That's all you do. Um, that's all you watch. So it's a lot um, going from college to pro and you're in a pro environment where, I don't know, I feel like um, team culture and, you know, being friends with each other and that type of chemistry is a lot more important in college than it is professionally. Professionally, it's business and this is people's livelihoods and they need to perform and there's a lot more stress on individual performance. And so um, that change was like huge for me as well, going into like almost a workplace setting where like, it's not so much you're my friends my teammates but you're like my co-workers and we're we're trying to achieve this goal because our careers depend on it more so than just like oh I would want to win this game or I would love to win a trophy type thing so yeah um that was definitely a, that was probably the bigger transition for me right yeah everybody kind of has their lives maybe even their families and um not everybody just gets together and goes out for, I don't know, a meal after practice or a game because they've got other things going on. Um, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So then did you know much about playing overseas, um, before you decided to take the next step to do so? Um, I don't know if you had teammates that had played overseas or what you knew about the overseas world, soccer world. I did have teammates that played overseas. So I was, kind of familiar with a lot of their experiences. Um, I, I had always wanted to play overseas. It's always something that I'd wanted to do, just kind of experience a different culture, live in a different place. Um, Spain is actually one place I would still to this day love to play one day. Um, <laughs> that's like my dream. But, um, but yeah, I'd always wanted to. So in that sense, I think I was kind of eager to hear other people's stories of their experiences overseas. But what's interesting is that there was so many mixed experiences overseas that people had had with various teams. And I mean, I still find that with my friends who are playing overseas now, like some absolutely love it. And some are like, Oh my gosh, I need to get out of here. Um, so it's just kind of a mixed bag. And I think I was very, very fortunate that my first overseas experience has been such a positive one um, because not everybody has that because it's hard to move to a different country and adapt to not only like, the playing style and the language if you need to and the teammates and the coaches but also like to the culture shock and living so far away from home and the time changes and all that type of stuff so it's definitely been an adjustment but um I don't I don't think going into it it just kind of felt going into it it felt more like a leap of faith like I'm just gonna go try it and see how it goes um but it's it's ended up very positively for me so far so I love hearing about uh, cultures and I personally love traveling. So I'm just curious, like, what can you tell us about Scotland as far as differences with the U.S.? Um, like, are there things that just jump right out at you when you got there? Like, oh, this is different. Oh, they do this different or food or like you said, they have a different playing style as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I feel like we already spoke about the weather. That was like a bit of a shock how it's like usually quite rainy and gloomy here. But I will say Scottish people are some of the most friendly people I've ever met. Like they're just a very friendly <laughs> culture. They're all so nice and stuff. So, I mean, that's probably one of the first things that jumps out um, at me. The food is different. The food's very different. Um, you, know what's, you know, what's funny is this is probably just like, in America versus Europe thing in general, but like how like small and like simple the grocery stores are, you know, like you go into a grocery store in America and you're like, what chips do I want? There's about 27 different options. Whereas like here in Scotland, it's like you have three options and just pick the one you like, you know? And I, I personally find that very freeing and it saves me a lot of thought, unnecessary thought of like going through how many different options I want. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it seems just like a, Scotland seems like a very tight knit, small community feeling country. Um, a lot of people know each other, like you, you, a lot of people kind of stay there their whole lives. So they drive down the street and they're like, oh, such and such lives there. Or, oh, that's my neighbor. Or, that's my mom's sister's best friend, you know? And it, it, I kind of like that, like community feel that the country has. So that's been really cool. 
When you talk to your family back home, do they ever say that they feel like you, your language or your accent has changed? So they haven't commented on my accent because to be honest, the Scottish accent is extremely hard to mimic. I've tried. Um, but I start using like very Scottish terms, like instead of like, oh, this is my apartment. I say, oh, this is my flat and like stuff like that, you know, just like the words I use, like, instead of saying I'm going downtown, it's like, I'm going to the city center. So yeah, they commented on my language that I've used and the, the Scottish, the Scottish accents, the intonation is very different. So when you're talking when a Scottish person speaks a lot of times the end of their sentence just like goes up a little bit like a question Mm -hmm. and so I've started doing that and people call me out on it and say I'm talking weird so okay um (laughs) and for some reason I have this idea that have you ever like bumped in well I guess in the United States the same thing could happen if I were to go to Alabama or somewhere um and not understand the person talking to me even though they are speaking in English but in Scotland they do speak English but have you ever had a hard time understanding people oh yes yes I like yeah well I've had a little bit of practice because my fiance is Scottish um and I've known him for a long time now so his his accent has given me kind of a taste into it but for some reason I don't really notice his accent anymore but when I talk to Scottish people who are talking really fast, usually they're super excited and telling a story. I really, really have to focus to understand what they're saying. Like, um, it does, it does sometimes feel like they're speaking a different language and I have no idea what they're saying. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Changing direction a little bit. Again, this podcast is called another Susan in the books, which means, you know, another Susan come and gone and then another season literally in the books. Um, so since graduating from Duke, have you uh, had the opportunity or the desire to continue studying? And if you have, what has that looked like and how do you feel like it's been uh, easier balancing it as a professional or a little bit more difficult? Yeah, I mean, um, so I like I mentioned earlier, I was pre-med in college. So throughout college, I kind of thought that I would like to go to medical school at some point. Um, and that was kind of my goal was medical school, but then come like senior year graduation, I was like, medical school seems like a really big commitment. Um, and because I was going to play professionally, I was like, I don't really know when I'm going to be done playing professionally. So that might be like too big of a commitment. So then my head kind of took a turn a little bit towards PA school, which I still think is such a cool, like field, um, a physician assistant. Um, and so a physician assistant is essentially just two to three years of school, as opposed to the four plus years of medical school. Um, and so then that's kind of where my head was going, maybe PA school, but again, you have to kind of like commit to those two or three years, be in one spot, have your clinicals. It's pretty academically intensive. Like I wouldn't be able to do it while I was playing. Um, but I did find that while I was playing, I had a lot of free time. And I was kind of like, "Mm, I feel like I maybe could go back to school, maybe could study something else. So it was actually after I tore my ACL the third time that I was like, right, let me go back to school and start studying again to A, set myself up for when my career is eventually over. And at the time I was thinking, if I don't want to play anymore, this will give me something to kind of fall back on, to get into, to get excited about. Um, so I applied for a master's program in public health, um, and I got in and so I'm currently doing my master's in public health from George Washington university. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's been, it's been really good. There's times where it's super busy, just like any other school. I'm technically a part-time student because you can't really do full-time and have another full-time job. So I'm part-time and then obviously I'm still playing, um, and I found it, I found it academically probably pretty similar to Duke um, as far as how academically challenging it is. However, the, the most challenging part is the scheduling part, A, because I'm a five-hour time difference from George Washington University, so scheduling online classes is a little bit challenging, but also because my team... Um, they're not in their heads, like nobody has any other things that they need to do. And so the scheduling of training and 
they'll randomly like change the schedule for the week and suddenly it conflicts with the class and I'm like whoa that's not like what we agreed on <laughs> but um <laughs> so that actually happened for my class tomorrow like now training I don't know if I'll be able to come home from training or I'll have to do my class at the training center which has happened to me a couple times I just have to find a quiet corner after training and just sit there for an extra hour or two to do my class so that is probably the most challenging part is like the scheduling and the finding time. Like I have plenty of time to get my work done. Um, it's more of just like the scheduling classes that has been a challenge, but the professors I've had have been pretty flexible in terms of if I need to miss a class for a game or something, usually they're pretty good about it. So mm -hmm. yeah, it's been good. Interesting. And you said yeah. public health. So then obviously I'm thinking about like COVID-19 and just what was the situation like in Scotland? I mean, it's still going on, of course, um, but yeah, was it a big, was it a big deal there? Did you guys have a lot of cases? Yeah, there, there was quite a few cases. Well, Scotland's, Scotland's a pretty small country. I think it's like 5 million, maybe three to 5 million. So like, it's, it's not a huge country, but I think relatively speaking, they did have quite a lot of cases. Um, but I would say Scotland is one of the probably strictest countries in the world. Well, I wouldn't say in the world because places like Australia and, and uh, yeah, some like Southeast Asian, those areas have been like super, super strict with COVID and who can come in and out of the country. But Scotland has been one of the strictest countries in Europe in terms of lockdown, how slowly they've been to open, um, how strict they've been with masks and that type of thing, how quickly they've distributed vaccines. Um, so yes, COVID is pretty bad. It's actually really bad again right now. So I think it's like close to like early, early days numbers back up with cases. Um, but yeah, it's, 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 it's good that, that as a country, they care enough to like kind of, make make rules and stuff in order to keep their population safe however as a person living in the country and as an athlete with the like constant threat of the season being shut down it is a little bit frustrating um i mean on our team we get covid tested every single day now we have to wear a mask everywhere it's like one into the locker room one out of the locker room like they were not allowed to share cars and that sort of type of thing so it is very strict those are like club rules but it is very strict to kind of prevent the spread so that hopefully our season can continue on without um without any issues so wow. yeah scotland scotland's stricter than america i'll say that i am a little shocked that you get tested every single day um, yeah. and have to wear masks everywhere because here in Spain, I mean, Spain was hit pretty hard as well. And Madrid is, you know, we're about 6 million people just in the city of Madrid. Um, and I have to wear a mask, of course, when I go in public transportation, um, it's not mandatory when you're walking down the street because you're in open air, but the majority of people wear them. Um, but when I'm at the gym, when we're practicing, I don't wear a mask. Do you have to wear a mask on the field? No, no, not on the field or, or in the gym. Once we're like working out, we don't have to wear it anymore. Okay. Um, but it's interesting when you talk to people in different countries, because I was talking with, um, a friend who had been in Southern France and she said that even to eat at a restaurant, you either had to be vaccinated or you had to um, show proof of a PCR test from like the last 24 hours just to eat outside wow. at a restaurant. Wow. And so I don't know if they're doing that to encourage people to get vaccinated, but I mean, how many people are going to spend the money on a PCR? Um, because in the States, I think the PCR tests were free, but in Europe, mm -hmm. or at least here in Spain, they're more than a hundred euros. Yeah. Yeah. They're very expensive here as well. Yeah, so that dinner or lunch is going to be very expensive if you <laughs> have to have a PCR test to eat. Right, exactly. Yeah, we just, we don't have to do the PCR tests every day, thankfully, because, but we just do like a lateral flow. Lateral um, flow? Yeah, that's the one where like, an antigen? We actually do it, yeah, the antigen test. We like do it ourselves now. We just show up to training and just, swab put it in the wool thing squirt the liquid onto the test and then just watch it and hope it doesn't show up with two lines is basically the life <laughs> okay i see yeah i see yeah um yeah this year we were talking earlier about 
uh, Euro Cup for my team. And I think I think as long as you're vaccinated, we're not going to have to have um, PCR tests here and there because it's yeah if you travel outside of Spain so what you have to have a PCR before traveling and then when you want to come back into Spain another PCR but um I think for people that are vaccinated they're not gonna require the PCR but okay good yeah it's a lot it's just yeah it's a confusing world um okay so you have talked a lot about your experience I've loved every moment of it um it sounds like you're the type of person it's like, well, if I want something, I'm just going to go after it and I'm going to try to get it. Um, any advice to younger players that are maybe looking to do the same as far as playing college sports or even then going on to play um, professionally overseas, just kind of like what type of mentality should they have? Um, what would help them to kind of, you know, have a successful experience or a positive experience going to a new team, a new place? Yeah, I mean, I think something I wish that I'm still trying to learn, and I wish I would have learned it earlier on, is that to stop comparing my journey to somebody else's, because no one's journey looks the same. And it's easy to, to look around and be like, oh, but she's on a better team than me, or she's in a cooler city or, you know, he's playing more than me or like those types of things. And it's so easy to kind of compare experiences and then base how we feel about our own experience on that comparison, which I feel like is such a unhelpful thing to do um, because each of our journeys looks com like completely different. And, and obviously in our heads, our journey is just going to be like a linear uphill slope that just like progressively smoothly improves, um, which it's not like that at all. It's like a twisted knotted roller coaster ride most of the time. Um, and so I think that would be my biggest piece of advice is to just kind of focus on your own journey, focus on where you want to get to, and then just do what you can that's in your control to get there. And don't let other people's journeys other people's like social media other people's experiences like throw off the way that you feel about yourself and and your own your own journey yeah mm -hmm. yes great advice easier said than done and i completely agree with you i think <laughs> i think we're all kind of under construction constantly and um just kind of keeping your nose on your own bobber is what one of my old college coaches used to say, like, don't worry yeah. about what your neighbor's doing or what your, you know, teammate is doing. Just worry about what you, what you're doing. Um, yeah. exactly. Good advice. Good advice. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Some rapid fire questions. Um, what Jersey number do you wear and why? Um, I wear number 10 here at um, the club I'm with now. Uh, because number 10 is basically like the go-to best player on the pitch number. And I wanted to manifest that for myself <laughs> early on. So I chose number 10 and I'm like, I want to be the best player on the pitch. <laughs> okay. This is, I don't know much about the soccer world, so I'm completely yeah. oblivious, but why is number 10 like the best player? Like meaning I'm, 10 because there are 10 people on the field on, on one team or what is 10? I don't know why 10, well, there's 11 players on the field. So I don't really know why 10 is like, meant, I don't know the history behind why it's like the best player on the field is meant to wear 10. But um, yeah, that's just kind of like a, a soccer fact that, but it's not always the case, obviously, like the best players on the field don't always wear 10, but um, 10 is just like that number that is meant to signify the best player. I don't know if it's, <laughs> because the, the positions on a soccer field are numbered and 10 is usually um, like an attacking midfielder position who was kind of like the playmaker. So maybe that's why it's meant you to play be like- forward. I correct, it's not my position. I play the <laughs> nine. <laughs> so I probably should be wearing number nine, but someone already has that number, so number 10. <laughs> okay, good deal, good enough. Um, and in basketball, I always ask this question, like, what are people's favorite go-to bread and butter moves on the court? You know, because when you're, when you're holding the ball, you can do a step back, you can do a spin move, you can, you know, three-point shot, but I'm not as familiar with soccer. So do you have, like, do soccer players have, I'm sure you do, some sort of go-to um, bread and butter favorite move? Yeah, I think a lot of, a lot of players do. Um, my position doesn't necessarily involve a lot, a whole lot of dribbling. 
And that's when you would normally do moves like a scissors where you like whip your feet around the ball and try and pick somebody out or like uh, an in and out where you like touch it this way and then really fast touch it the other way and pick somebody out. But I will say um, from an early age and my roots in basketball, I was taught to post up on the soccer field and <laughs> play with my back to goal and to receive the ball into my feet and kind of spin off of a defender. Ah. And that is probably my favorite. That's my bread and butter. Yeah. Oh my goodness, Kayla. That cracks me up because you're about, I think you're about five foot six. Five, seven. Five, seven. Okay. I think Wikipedia needs to correct themselves. Um, but I play the post in basketball. So I'm like used to posting up. But when I think about you, I think of our height difference. Um, but the fact that you can post up in soccer and do a spin move, which I love doing a spin move on a basketball court. So that's, that's hilarious. I had no idea that they could be so similar. We need to find a video of you doing that and a video of me doing that and play it side by side. We're there you go. That. I think we do. <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. Um, okay. And when you have traveled overseas to Scotland from Chicago, is there anything in your suitcase, any uh, food product or anything that you bring with you knowing that you're not going to be able to find it? Um, that's a good question. Um, let's see. Well, there's certain, there's a certain type of trail mix that my mom always buys me from Trader Joe's. That's like my favorite and it's cranberries and like pumpkin seeds and walnuts. It's so good. And that's usually if, if I'm with my mom before I leave, she usually gets me a bag of that because it's like my favorite snack and they obviously don't have Trader Joe's in Scotland. So, right. Yeah. Like we said before, maybe the variety over there isn't as, um, <laughs> you know, there's not a plethora of choices, which I do completely agree with you. I agree with the chips. I also see it with um, beverages like Coca-Cola or Mountain Dew. I don't drink pop, but um, over here, it's usually either Coke or maybe Sprite, um, Fanta, like an orange Fanta, yeah. but they yeah. do not have root beer. They don't have Mountain Dew. I mean, they don't have like grape flavored this or that Dr. Pepper. I mean, they just don't have any of that. Yeah. Yeah. Which is probably for the betterment of everyone, but yeah, no, right. they don't. On a, on a health perspective, it's probably yeah. definitely better. Yes. Um, and lastly, I'm just curious, like, is there any fun Scottish word that you enjoy saying or that, I don't know, on the field that your teammates yell to each other that you just think is funny or anything like that? Oh, man, my favorite Scottish phrase, it's not used on the field, but when somebody is like talking nonsense or saying something ridiculous or like getting on your nerves or something, you'll say, ach, wangies, peace. <laughs> Like, like, go away and give me peace. It's a direct translation. And I just think it's so funny. And I use it every chance I get. Can you say that one more time, like a little slower? What was that? I can't even. <laughs> Ach, away, geese, peace. Ach, away, geese, peace. <laughs> ah, like, Ugh, get away, give me peace. Exactly. Ah, that's awesome. That's yeah. Awesome. I love oh, it. Oh, there's so many. There's so many. Yeah. Hmm. Well, Kayla, I thank you so much for your time. This was an absolute pleasure. I'm glad that we were finally able to connect. Um, you know, on the one hand, I feel like I'm talking to Brittany, but then on the other hand, I'm not because, you know, you're not the same person, but you definitely have many similarities. Um, but good luck with all of your future endeavors and studying at the same time as playing and um I just think that's great like this continuous education right just to keep pushing yourself and following your athletic dream at the same time definitely definitely well thank you no it was so great to talk to you and so great to see see your face after such a long time it's been a long time I think the last time I actually saw you in person yeah you must have been how old <laughs> 12 <laughs> at least yeah yeah, yeah probably their That's first so first, uh, first um, row watching the basketball games yeah always in the front row yeah always a nervous wreck <laughs> watching <laughs> Brittany shoot free throws <laughs> and that wraps it up for our conversation with professional soccer player Kayla McCoy I don't know about all of you but when I think I'm having a down day 
I'm going to use Kayla's story as an example to snap myself out of what's probably a self-inflicted pity party. Because, let's be honest, there's always something we can complain about. But more than likely, there are several things we can be thankful for. So why not spend our precious energy focusing on the positives? Easier said than done, I know, but for our own mental, physical, and emotional wellness, well, we might as well give it a try. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this week's interview. And if you'd be so kind, head on over to Apple Podcasts and rate and review the show. Your support means so much and helps get the word out to future listeners. Enjoy the rest of the day. Be thankful. And hopefully we'll see you back here sooner than later. Hasta luego.